The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. Just a quick break to recommend our recent sponsor's Book of the Month. Book of the Month makes reading better by offering members a few new book selections each month to help you cut through the noise, save time, and make it easier to decide what to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles and picks five to seven of the best new books for you to choose from. All of these books are good, so you really can't go wrong. Book of the Month helps readers like you and I find books that we wouldn't normally discover on our own. The cool part is selections largely focus on new and upcoming authors in multiple genres. Book of the Month also recently launched curated audiobooks, so members can get a hardcover or an audiobook each month, which you can then download and listen to right in the app. This month, I chose A Little Supernatural Fair in Murder Road by New York Times bestselling author Simone St. James, described as the story of a young couple that find themselves haunted by a string of gruesome murders committed along an old deserted road in this terrifying new novel. Just go to bookofthemonth.com to pick your first book and join Book of the Month. That's bookofthemonth.com. And for a limited time, you can join and get that first book for just $9.99 with the code CHIRP. That's C-H-I-R-P. Enjoy. Knock that fire down, 19. Copy, Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19. All new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Rainmaker FM. And welcome back to The Writer Files. I'm still your host, Kelton Reed, here to take you on yet another tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of renowned scribes. In part two of this file, the co-creator and co-writer of the number one international hit podcast, Welcome to Night Vale, and New York Times bestselling co-author of the novel of the same name, Jeffrey Craner, returned to talk to me about the importance of collaboration, deadlines, and bad writing. In addition to producing and touring with the theater ensemble, the New York Neo-Futurists, the playwright and author tours with live shows for the Night Vale Presents production banner, co-created with Joseph Fink. Night Vale Presents now produces four podcasts that sit atop the charts, including Within the Wires, also created by the author. And they've recently published two volumes of episode transcripts that include extras for fans of their original show. Welcome to Night Vale has been described as NPR meets The Twilight Zone, a sci-fi broadcast about a small desert community where strange mythologies abound and all conspiracy theory is potentially real. In part two of this file, Jeffrey and I discuss the power of productive procrastination, how making the familiar strange produces great writing, why it's really hard to be good all the time, how the battle against expectation can surprise readers, and the art of great audiobooks as performance. If you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. And if you missed the first half of this show, you can find it in the archives on iTunes, on writerfiles.fm, and in the show notes. This episode of The Writer Files is brought to you by Audible. 
I'll have more on their special offer later in the show, but if you love audiobooks or you've always wanted to give them a try, you can check out over 180,000 titles right now at audibletrial.com slash rainmaker. That's cool. I like that. Do you lean into procrastination or do you kind of have some tricks for beating it? Oh, I definitely lean into procrastination. I'm really bad at procrastination. Um, you know, I, th- I think I think the number one thing that helps me with procrastination is allowing myself to put something off um, as long as I am doing something else productive in its stead. And, uh, and I think that if I find myself like, I don't know, like spending too long, just like, oh, you know what, I'm going to... I'm going to, I'm just going to hang out and uh, play a game while listening to a podcast or something, you know, like really like unproductive things. Not that those are bad for you, um, but over too much time, they, they, they do become unproductive because they're taking away from writing time or actual work. Mm. But I I think, you know, uh, there's always some business to be done as a writer for Joseph and and me doing Night Vale Presents. There's, there's a lot, it's a business, right? So we, we do have to respond to emails and do make decisions and, go back and forth. So a lot of times I'll, I'll take some time away from writing to just, just get myself in front of a computer, do those little things, return some emails, check everything, play the game of, can I get pit and get to inbox zero, stuff like that. <laughs> um, those are good procrastination things because they're, they're in front of the computer, which is where you should be writing. They're still kind of writing, even if they're not finishing the novel or the new episode. Uh, but you know, just kind of get your body into the into the framework of, of what you should be doing. Those are the main things. Because sometimes, I don't know. Uh, sometimes you just look at your computer from twenty feet away, and you're like, I don't want to go near that thing. Like I just, <laughs> I just am not feeling it. I don't want to do that. Yeah, and your brain likes those little victories, isn't it? And yeah. it's, um, I think Austin Kleon, and I'm sure lots of other people call it pr- productive procrastination, where yeah. you're you're just switching modes so that you can. You know, your brain can focus on something else in the background and do that incubation stuff that it likes so much. Cool, man. Well, um, I'd love to pick your brain a little bit about creativity if you've got some more time. Sure. How do you how do you define creativity in your kind of your own mm. in your own words? I think it's just for me. It's about original expression. Creativity is is a, 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 I guess a combination of, of finding your own voice. Um within the confines of, of everything else that, that helped to shape it. And so I think it, it, for me, creativity is, is walking that balance of, of creating, creating an original thing, something that is all yours, but using all of the tools that have, and, and, and all of the components and tropes and devices that, that, that have come before. So it, it is, it is kind of like recycling in some ways, you know, you're, you're taking old, uh, soda bottles and and melting them down and, and repackaging them as something else and and, yeah. I, and I think you 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 can't be truly creative without having uh, consumed a lot of other art in the past um, you, you have to have a lot of that experience and, and and know how to make make a certain thing but there's always a part of you that that is, that is truly unique and original like everybody grows up differently we may have a lot of similar experiences but everybody has their own unique take on the world and, and creativity to me is taking kind of your standard mystery novel or your standard sitcom or whatever your 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 real like uh, set structure and then adding your own unique viewpoint inside of that whenever you write that yourself. So, um, yeah, I, I think, I think to me, it's just, it's, it's building out, uh, structures that, that are familiar and then finding a new way, um, to present them that that people haven't done before. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, you definitely do that with <laughs> Welcome to Night Vale. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I've heard it described as NPR meets the Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. and, and, and it definitely has that. Uh, has anyone ever used the, the adjective phantasmagoric? Um, don't know. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, that's good. I, I like want to be the first. Yeah, do it. Uh, I don't know why it came to mind, but you know, it's got those elements of the theater of the absurd. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a, a you know, X Files, and then procedural, and then beautiful small small town uh, NPR stuff, mm-hmm. which is all just an amazing remix of stuff we know, but it's so uh, it's so different. It's, yeah. it's truly brilliant. So Thanks. sorry. To, to digress there back to that. But when when do you think you feel the most creative? That's a really good question. I um I feel the most creative uh I mean the the <laughs> the sort of like uh, cheeky way of saying that I think is is after I've created something really good. You know, like yeah. then I look back and say, "Oh, I was in a really creative mood." Um <laughs> I was really really feeling it then. Um but it's a little bit true that a, that a lot of times I don't know how creative I feel until later after I've made a thing. And then I can look back on it and, and sort of feel that. Cause, cause some days mm. I, I don't know, some days I, I feel like I just created sort of like lackluster garbage and that's, that's harsh. That's not what I meant to say, but I, uh, some days I feel like I created something that just isn't as special as other days. Mm. And, um, and then when I go back and look at it later, I'm like, Oh, this is fine. This is good. Oh, this is completely usable. Um, I like this and feel like, oh, I was feeling very creative. And some days you feel like, man, I'm really killing this. And you go look at it later and you're like, wow, this is com- completely overwrought, like super overwritten. And um, <laughs> so it, it is a little tough. I mean, I, I think usually I the feeling itself of feeling creative usually happens about half an hour to an hour into working on something. And it, it usually it's if I feel myself on a roll, you know, uh, you know, a couple of days ago, I, I really cranked through like 6,000 words and I kind of did it, you know, over the course of a, of a long stretch of an afternoon. And I just felt, mm. man, I'm really, really working through this. I'm really just, this is flowing really, really well, man. I just had a really good joke to insert into this paragraph and, <laughs> oh, this really feels good. And so a lot of it is just kind of getting into a rhythm. And if I can get myself into the rhythm, I, I'm feeling very creative. Now, whether or not that stuff is any good, I'll know a few days later when I go look at it again. Yeah. Yeah. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I think uh, sci-fi author Andy Weir had a a very similar... um, thought on it and it was just that you know he looks back on these you know he just he just makes sure that he, he writes it and he doesn't always feel awesome when he's writing it but looking back it didn't matter yeah, yeah. um that those things were equally as 
as important to the process. Well, that's cool. Do you have a, a creative muse at the moment? I don't. Oh no, I, I really don't. I mean, I, I I try to put myself in an environment that that feels ergonomic and positive, like a good energy. <laughs> Um, I just finished, uh, setting up a, an office space and we have a guest bedroom that that's pretty large and it faces out towards this, the trees and the, and the hills out here in Hudson Valley, New York. And I, um, so I have a really nice view of the mountains from where I sit, which is really great. You know, it provides a nice thing of every now and then you just look up and you're like, oh, look, there's, there's a blue jay. That's really great. Um, I, and so like that kind of, I think for me, my muse is mostly just having a positive environment. It's, it's very hard for me to write when I am traveling. Uh, you know, we tour a lot for Welcome to Night Vale and, and tour yeah. times. Joseph and I have gotten to the point now where like we have written things on tour, but on tour, we've learned to not pretend like we're going to get anything done when we're traveling. Because when you're on an airplane, airplanes are inherently uncomfortable and stressful. Yeah. And um, it's hard to sit and write in that little tiny cramped seat where somebody leans back into your lap. And oh yeah, um, hotel rooms equally so, especially when what you're doing is touring. So you arrive at a hotel at three in the afternoon. You have an hour and a half before you then have to go to the theater and uh, do sound check. And then you're backstage at a theater. And while you're not on stage the whole time, like, oh, you're just around a bunch of people and... Uh, eventually you're going to have to like pack everything up, maybe go out and meet fans. And then by the 11 o'clock that night, you're like, well, I got to go to sleep and get up at nine in the morning and do this all over again. It's really hard to find that time to be like, I have this really relaxing, positive environment to really focus. So, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. my muse is, is, is quiet and peace. Nice. Nice. Um, so what do you think in your, in your estimation makes a writer great? Doing it a lot. Um, I, I think more than anything else, that, that's it. Um, I remember reading, um, oh God, I'm, I'm going to forget the name of it. Uh, 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 Steve Martin's last book is basically his memoir about his, uh, mm. about his uh, stand-up career. And he has a moment in it where he talked about doing stand-up comedy and he didn't do it for very long and he was great at it, but he, he did talk about the idea of greatness. And he says, you know, you know, if you, if you, are naturally inclined to comedy and you're really good at it, you, you you will find that it becomes easy to be great. What's really hard is being good all the time. Um, yeah. Because in, in, in doing your stand-up act, you, you know, you you can't just be great and have a great show and then the next night be okay. Like everybody there needs to laugh. They need That's the whole point of your job. And so you need to find a way to be good all the time. And, and I think that comes from constant experience. You know, and in fact, when I've gone to see stand-up comedy, um, I remember going one night uh, to the Comedy Cellar in New York City, and uh, I remember the night that that I was there. There were some really great comedians because uh, Aziz Ansari performed and Amy Schumer performed that night. Uh, this wow. was a couple years ago, and uh, they were great. Like I really loved them. They're super funny. Um, but I remember at the end of the night, the last comedian was a guy named Alan Havey, who I've never seen in person before, but I knew who he was. But I mean, he's in his fifties, if not sixteen, and he's been at it since I was a kid. I remember him on short attention span theater and comedy central when I was in high school <laughs> and he was amazing. And it, and, and I think what made him amazing wasn't the jokes, because if you're going to ask me to write comedians of that night to write down their jokes, I'm probably gravitating towards Aziz Ansari uh, mm -hmm. and Amy Schumer and just the quality of the craftsmanship of the joke. But what made Alan Havy great is, is that he could tell you 
any joke and it would have been brilliant because he knew how to work the crowd. He was doing a full on performance. And I think that's the sign of like a really, really great comedian that can do that night after night, no matter the crowd that he's in. He knows what people are saying and what people are doing and, um, and, and how to use their energy back to uh, back at them. And, uh, and I think with a writer, while it's not performative, I think being able to write all the time and publish as much as you can, even if it's just a blog, um, yeah. Even if it's just jokes on Twitter, just getting something out there and constantly making a thing um, is really, really vital. And I think when you do that a lot, you get really, really good at it, even if you're not making best-selling hits, right? Like even if you're not creating the <laughs> the next Gone Girl or, or uh, Between the World and Me or something, you know, you, <laughs> you are still creating um, – you're still you're still creating great things that people will truly enjoy reading. Yeah, yeah, and those authors wrote some bad stuff at the beginning. All 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 writers do. Sure. To start out, it's it's that iterative process. You got to ship to know kind of what you're dealing with, and yeah, forge that. It's a very hard career to come at late. I mean, most careers <laughs> are hard to come at late, but it, it's yeah. it's not one you it's not one you can easily. Fake, uh, because it's uh, it's like weightlifting. You can't just suddenly you just can't <laughs> right. suddenly be an offensive lineman. You you really have to work for years and years to do that. Uh, that's crushing my dream. But <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's true. I mean, the, the overnight successes we hear about, you know, in kind of any of the the major writing fields, so often have like cut their teeth. You know, even if they're just like the, the best selling debut novelist. Mm-hmm in their 40s or 50s, they cut their teeth in, you know, writing, but, you know, maybe not in the way that you might imagine it. They weren't, they weren't writing novel after novel. They might have been copywriters or journalists or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, playwrights or whatever. But, you know, you see that so often that they're kind of, oh, overnight success. (laughs) Novelist. (laughs) Nope. Um, And sometimes even if it's a very first novel they've ever written, which there's a lot of people who in their first novel have a huge success with it. But I, I, I would also counter that, yeah, just like you said, they've probably done a lot of other things prior to that. And, and, in, ad- and in addition to that, I, I bet that novel took a, wa- a, a lot of iterations to get Absolutely. right. And um, yeah, there, there's, just, there's just a lot that goes into it. Yeah, yeah. So many novels start with a, a, a short story or just a, um, an idea and obviously become take on a life of their own. Yeah, absolutely. We will be right back after a very short break. Thanks so much for listening to The Writer Files. This episode of The Writer Files is brought to you by Audible. Offering over 180,000 audiobook titles to choose from, Audible seamlessly delivers the worlds of both fiction and nonfiction to your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or computer. For Rainmaker FM listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check them out. Grab your free audiobook right now by visiting audibletrial.com slash rainmaker. I just hopped over there to grab Stephen King's epic novel, 112263, about an English teacher who goes back in time to prevent the assassination of JFK. You can download your pick or any other audiobook free by heading over to audibletrial.com slash rainmaker. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash rainmaker. Do you have a couple favorite authors kind of sitting on your nightstand or playing in let me, your headphones? Uh, let me try to answer that. Um, I'm going to turn to my left and look at my <laughs> look at my <laughs> shelf. I do. Uh, one of my favorite authors is uh, is a playwright uh, named Will Eno, 
And I, I love Willino's work, and and I I feel like you know when we write and when we first start really getting into writing or a style of writing, we we like to emulate other writers. And Willino is a person I think I've always wanted to emulate. Um, his he writes he writes plays, he writes dialogue plays, but he also has a, a whole bunch of um, monologue pieces. And the, and the first mm. of those that I read was uh, a play called Tom Payne based on nothing. And it is a solo performance. Uh, it was originally performed in New York by the actor James Urbaniak, who's been on Welcome to Night Vale since, which is uh, really exciting for me. And, uh, sure. but it's, it's this, Will, Willie knows work has this uh, ability to be, uh, when you look at it on a page, it's very simple. The, the writing structure is simple, but it, it's, it's, it's deeply poetic and very introverted, and it and it uses the audience really, really well. He he's very confrontational without saying controversial things. Um, there's some of that in there, but mostly he just always, always makes the audience battle against expectations. Uh, mm-hmm. He does some really fascinating things with with his writing in, in Tom Paine. There's a moment when he asks a member of the audience to come up on stage, I need you for something, just stand right there, and then proceeds to continue out the rest of the show without ever using them. So it just leaves a person on, on stage throughout the rest of the show without anything to, to do, always expecting something about to happen. It's kind mm-hmm. of you're used to the improv comedian or the magician needing a volunteer to come up and do a thing, and then and then you find yourself never used again, and it becomes this really amazing um Amazing thing for the rest of the audience to watch that happen. Um, uh, another writer I really, really love is Helen DeWitt. Uh, she wrote one of my mm-hmm. favorite mm-hmm. books of all time called The Last Samurai. Do you know this book? I do, yeah. It's one I found when I was in creative writing school. Uh-huh. And uh, I think it was it had a limited release, right? And then it went out of print. And then it came back, like they republished it recently. Oh, it might have. I have no idea. I I, I bought it way back in like two thousand three, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I don't. I, I didn't. I didn't know that if it went out of print or not. It was. I, I found out after I read it that you know back then that it was kind of like, you know, big hot stuff in the literary world. As in, like, here's a first time novelist, and here's this brilliant novel. All these publishers yeah. really wanted, and um, it took her a long, long time to write a second book, and. Um, yeah, the Last Samurai I, I thought was, was was so beautiful and, and immersive, and and I think it, it does a, a similar thing to what Will the, Willino does, which is to create um, a, a fairly simple uh, a fairly simple vocabulary, fairly fairly simple language, um, describing things in not lavish detail, but in a, in enough detail to allow you as the reader to sort of or the or the viewer, uh, in the case of Will, you know, uh, to to build out your own to build out your own world and some of the some of the the really heartfelt moments or the really scary moments in in both of those writers work uh, is is what they're not telling you and and what they're not yeah. revealing anyways uh, but yeah I, I thought last samurai was um a- absolutely uh beautiful and and stunning for sure i just read uh last year for the first time uh if on a winter's night, a traveler by Italo Calvino. Oh wow! And it was brilliant, and I've never read Calvino's work, and I finally got around to reading it. So I can't claim him as a favorite author, um, but that was one of the best things I've ever read, and it's tremendous. So, uh, welcome to me finally discovering Italo Calvino <laughs> in 2015. Yeah, yeah, Calvino's fantastic. It says Helen DeWitt, and and I look forward to checking out the uh, other author you mentioned. 
Uh, do you have a kind of a favorite quote? A lot of writers have a quote just kind of floating over their desks somewhere or memorized. Or do you have one you want to share with writers? <laughs> I do. Um, so uh, I guess people still do this with email. You know how like, and I don't know if you do this with your email or, or anything. I don't really notice signatures on email anymore because Gmail kind of usually truncates that stuff. Yeah. But you know, in the back in the day, people kind of devise a personalized signature at the bottom of their emails. And, it, right. and a lot of times it would be a quote, uh, especially all of my writer and theater friends would have a quote from somebody at the bottom. And um, my friend uh, Joey Rizzolo, who was a member of the, the New York Neo Futurist Theater Company, had a quote at the bottom of his so when you'd get an email from Joey Rizzolo, you'd have the email and you just put Joey and then at the bottom would have this quote and, and the quote said, we're writers. Why are we always quoting some other writer? We're writers <laughs> after all, Joey Rizzolo. And that's my yes. favorite quote. <laughs> I hope Joey hears this and it's a bow. Um, um, it's tremendous and it was so good I wanted to steal it and knew that I couldn't <laughs> and that made me sad. <laughs> I love it. It's too meta, uh, so I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to steal it and put it over my desk now. <laughs> so um, okay, I know I know we we need to wrap here pretty quick. Um, I got a couple fun ones for you. So so I have this question: Do you prefer paper or ebook? And uh, I guess I should add or or uh, audiobook. But uh, do you have a preference? I love audiobooks. I've always loved radio. I've always loved listening to things. Um, uh, I hope that's not heretical to say, uh, but I, I love <laughs> audiobooks, and there's a real distinct art to them. I, I've I'm much more willing to give up on an audiobook than I am on a on a printed book, because um, a printed book is all it's all your fault if you can't get it right. Whereas the audiobook sometimes just sometimes they just don't translate well for me. Like sometimes the performance yeah. is just not quite there, or the or the book doesn't work as an audiobook. Um, for sure. So I mean, I think I think I think a guaranteed getting a good quality is going to be much better in a book book than in an audiobook because there's just so many other moving parts to audiobooks but um yeah. oh god i i just love them it, it just is so great when you find great narrators like robertson dean or george goodell there, there's just so many really really good uh narrators out there that, that do a fantastic job um definitely prefer a printed book over ebook uh just because it, it uh it's more lasting. It feels more memorable to me. There's there's the the physical weight and the touch of the pages. Um, that's I don't even think I'm being romantic when I say that. I think that's just <laughs> I think that's just physiology. I just think your body yeah. is more likely to hold on to information that's that's tangible that you've actually touched. Um, yeah. but that being said, I, I'm not opposed to ebooks. I, I travel a lot, so I definitely have to go ebook quite a bit, and that's fine. It's it's a, they're great. Um, they're super excellent for traveling because I don't have to have five pounds of books in my bag. Yeah, yeah. Hybrid, hybrid uh, <laughs> medium is the message. Ooh, Marshall, add Marshall McLuhan to my list of people. Oh, I, I oh. really love his writers. Yeah. The medium is the massage. Yes, I have that uh, book too. It's great. <laughs> my mom recently gave me a, a, a vintage copy of that. And I was like, I think I spelled it wrong. Oh, wait, that was, <laughs> that was intentional. Um, all right. So if you could choose one author from any era for an all expense paid dinner to your favorite spot in the world, who would you choose and where would you take them? It's a great question. Um, I feel like I might, I, I would do one of two things. Um, I, I, I mean, partially there's somebody like, uh, there's a person like Will Eno that I just mentioned a little bit ago who's living not that far from my own age. Maybe we're 10 years apart. Um, 
And uh, that's somebody that I just think professionally I would just love to meet because he, he's had such a profound influence on my life. That being said, I, I don't know how comfortable I am with meeting people I'm a big fan of. Um, there's a lot of people I enjoy meeting that I really appreciate their work. Um, but sometimes when you reach the level of I'm a fan of you, like you just can't not have shake voice when you do actually meet them. <laughs> so yeah. I feel like maybe that would be counterproductive. Um, I would be really interested in someone like Jane Austen. Um, if, if only, if, if only for the fact of, of you have a person who managed to write quite a bit given the time frame she wrote in, mm -hmm. but, but did not write for a very long time. Um, and, 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 and I, I think I'm always curious about the level of writing that she was at, which was, um, we're talking, we're talking the upper echelon of, of Western writers. Um, yeah. she was absolutely brilliant and, and 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 of that era there's so little known uh, there's a lot known but there's there's so little there's so much that's been repressed about women's histories in the history of humankind and mm -hmm. and I think that we're we're missing so much of her story because we didn't canonize uh, uh women the same way we did men like any average man from that some just spare earl or vicomte uh, gets, you know, pages in an encyclopedia. And there's so many women who did not. And I, I think we're missing a lot of her life. And I would be very interested to know uh, uh, more about her and, and more about uh, uh, about her writing process and about uh, yeah. who she was uh, during that era. Interesting. And where would you go for dinner? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. Uh, oh, man, there's a, there's a really, there's a really great, uh, restaurant and brewery in Athens, New York called Crossroads that I really, I really, really enjoy. They, they always have really excellent stuff. So, so maybe we'll, we'll go there. My, my knowledge of restaurants in, in England is much more limited. <laughs> I forget, I skipped over one earlier, um, but maybe before we get to your writing advice for fellow scribes, you could tell us how uh, Jeffrey Cranor unwinds at the end of a, a long writing day. Um, I'll tell you what I did last night after the end of a long writing day, which was, uh, my wife Jillian had, uh, um, uh, gone to the store and got some food and then I kind of finished up right around the time she got home and started making dinner. So I went upstairs and helped make dinner and chopped up some peppers and grated some cheese and made some bread and, uh, we poured some wine and, uh, uh, we had a go at making a flourless chocolate cake, which we hadn't tried before. Mm. Uh, I think we overbaked it a little bit, but for the most part, it came out really tasty. Um, it wasn't super dense, which was really great, um, if if only slightly dry on top. So that was a problem. But yeah, cooking and having wine or a bourbon or something like that, just like, I, I can't, I don't... I can't do that every night of make <laughs> flourless chocolate cake and throw right, back a right. bunch of wine and stuff like that. But I, I think... Uh, I think cooking, um, having an evening to like just cook and have nice food and things like that is is one of my favorite things to do time wise. Nice. Yeah. Well, uh, to kind of wrap it up here, do you have some advice for your fellow writers on how to keep the ink flowing and the cursor moving? I think you have to uh, uh, make opportunities for yourself. You know, self publish, self produce uh, whenever you can. Um, but always give yourself a reason to have to make a thing. Not just you want to make a thing, but make a make a path that you have to make a thing. Um, if you have a blog, tell people that you, you put out a new post 
every 48 hours at noon every other day or at Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 3 p.m., you will have a brand new post about this subject. And, um, you know, make those paths for yourself. Make yourself have to make a thing. And and, and when you do that, you, you feel uh, like you are indebted to more than just yourself. Uh, I think that's the number one thing. Lock, Stock, and Barrel with Jeffrey Krynor. <laughs> Best-selling author, co-creator. Welcome to Night Vale and Night Vale Presents World. Um, lots of stuff going on to find out there. Is the best way is the best way to connect kind of with that world at, at uh, welcometonightvale.com? I think that's the best way. Also, we put a lot of updates on our Facebook page and, and Twitter account too. Um, Excellent. So yeah, so look look for all that there. I will link to all of those in the show notes. Congrats on the new show within the wires, which is fantastic. You can find those uh, wherever fine podcasts are consumed. Does that sound awful. <laughs> That's great. Wherever you get your podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's so much out there to find. And where? what's your next stop in the live show, the tour, the... What's what's uh, next for you? Well, um, we just started a Europe tour. Uh, we're two shows in. Um, I'm not on that tour yet, um, but they just did a show in Paris on Monday wow. night and a show in Madrid last night. And tomorrow night, they'll be in Cologne and going on over to... Stockholm, Oslo, Copenhagen, Amsterdam, Berlin, Munich, Prague, Warsaw, and then I'm going to join up uh, on October 20th in uh, Dublin. We're going to go to Dublin, uh, Brighton, London, and uh, Manchester to close out the month. Amazing, amazing. It's really exciting. Seems like you have uh, fans all over the world, and uh, congratulations on all of your successes. We really appreciate you chatting with us about your process, and feel free to come back anytime. Thanks so much, Kelton. Thanks so much for joining me for this half of a tour through the writer's process. If you enjoy the Writer Files podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review on iTunes to help other writers find us. For more episodes or to just leave a comment or a question, you can drop by writerfiles.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week.